Guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's back? <laughs> Tell a friend. It's cross-training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. We are still the Holy Heretics. I'm Matthew Thompson. I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm Mason Simmons. I'm John Dodger. And we're still talking about Hellboys. Boy, this was fast. That was a fast transition. Dude, my foot's still on the gas. Honestly, let's just keep rolling. Roll it. 100%. Y- y'all know, y'all, if, if you didn't listen to the episode prior to this one, go back to it, listen to it right now. We'll still, we, we will still be here. I will wait. Yeah, it, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a fortnight. So it's been two weeks since the last episode came back to the listener-elect. So I'm going to wait. Go listen to it. All right, now you're back. Thanks for coming back, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, let's, just, let's just say this. After that first episode, thank you for coming back. You know. <laughs> what are you Thanks. talking about? That was the most entertainment we've had on this podcast in years. Oh, I mean, super entertaining. Years like we've been doing this for decades. We've been doing this for years. <laughs> hey, that's longer than most. Amen. It's been multiple fortnights. Get at me, Epic Games. But anyway, all seriousness, though. I'm going to be shut up a little more than, than usual on this one because my argument doesn't get to see the light of day. That's what, that's what we had last fortnight. Mason and John are going to be tickling our ears today. So this, this episode is going to be a little different from the last one because, for one, Mason is presenting what is known as the eternal conscious torment view on hell, which is what 99.9999999% of our listeners Very traditional. already understand. So him giving the proofs for that is nothing new. It's what you've heard. It would be borderline disingenuous to have him speaking on the eternal conscious torment topic the same way that you and I, Tanner, yeah. discussed ours. It's not new information. However, John's is, is going to be a little different. Conditionalism yeah, is probably maybe. something that not a lot of our listeners are familiar with. But so the, the layout of this, it's not going to be so much a, Tanner, you bring up your points, yeah. and then it's my turn to bring up my points. It's going to be almost kind of a discussion slash debate. Style. Let's also, also make mention that the last episode was the one that had purgatory and universalism has the weakest, weakest, but yet eternal conscious torment and conditionalism has the strongest backing. I would say that if you, I mean, let's just bullet in the pod that both views, I think, are a little bit more stronger biblically than the, the previous two. Oh, yeah. so, I think, and, and also to preface this uh, as different, um, Mason and I actually believe and back the points that we're bringing to. And me and Matthew this, neither. This is yeah. no longer hypothetical, right? Like like the last episode was yep. was kind of some, some storytelling, some acting, some some oh well very good they idea. would argue this it, it was fun and this is more like hey i would argue this right so yeah. we also both believe this and we both believe about each other i think or at least i believe about mason i'm not gonna try to put words in his mouth but that his view is a strong biblically acceptable good sanctifying view of scripture and how it, how it relates to hell right i don't believe it i believe something slightly adjacent or slightly different than that in, in conditionalism but I would think that we are definitely no harm, no foul about the other view when it comes to this because, again, these are both strong, historically held orthodox views of hell. Uh, one of them just happens to be more popular right now at our, at our sociodemographic cut uh, here in the biblical south. So without further ado, for the sake of allowing the listeners to learn something, John, how about you give us the, uh, the elevator pitch before you get into the nitty-gritty of what conditionalism even is? We haven't offered a definition for that yet. You bet. Here's the forward to that book. So, um, if you're if you're wanting that, so uh, it kind of hinges on like understanding eternal conscious torment, which again we're taking for granted that our listeners elect all kind of have at least a rudimentary understanding of that. So, eternal conscious torment would say that you are. Uh, this is going to be very reductive, Mason. You're going to elaborate on this. Are sent to hell as an unbeliever, one who never accepted Christ, and there 
in an eternal environment are also eternally tormented consciously uh, for your sins and your offenses against the eternal God in proportion with... (laughs) We're having a revival right now. That was like Prozac straight into his veins after (laughs) a previous discussion. Yeah. Finally, something that isn't heresy. Mason's hair just turned from red to blonde. Like, he just, he's a a new man. He's he's normal now. Um, (laughs) Conditionalism, on the other hand, states that uh, it's, it's almost a semantic argument, but it has a lot of different implications, right? Eternality Eternal life, immortality, is conditional upon your acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to then preserve your life eternally, okay? Meaning that any passage that you view, on a, and I would assert any passage that you take to, to, to ex- describe hell, anything that Jesus says about hell, anything the Old or New Testaments say about hell, I believe, and conditionalists would believe, that eternality or immortality is only given, only ascribed, only credited to believers accepting Jesus Christ. So that's a positive argument for it. The negative argument for it, uh, which is still for conditionalism, says that, well, if that's true, then that means that immortality, eternality, is therefore not granted to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, meaning that your experience in hell is for a limited amount of time. At which point you are then finally obliterated, finally erased, finally consumed. Say I mean, the, that's word. the words. Say the word. Those are the words that Jesus uses. Say the word. It starts with an A. Annihilated. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> now there is a delineation between was drugs in the Matthew space. There, there is a difference between conditionalism and annihilation. There is. There is. Which I wanted yeah. to ask because annihilation <clears throat> annihilationism is where I'm at right now. Okay. So you pitch annihilationism, and I'll I'll say how it's different from conditionalism because I don't want to. Assume. Well, that's the thing. I'm still learning it. Okay. I'm I'm in the process, so I I would much rather hear your what sure. conditionalism is, yep. and then make my own conclusion. I would like, say, okay. correct me if I'm wrong, that conditionalism is is basically what I've described. Annihilationism takes it a step further in that limit of uh, being, and saying that okay, so at the judgment seat of yeah. God, yeah, you are immediately. Annihilate. Mm, no, is that, is that true? No. Uh, now, that's, to be fair, there, there are a few flavors of it, and the okay. flavor that, that makes the most sense to me from where I'm at right now in my studies is belief that you, hell, you you go to hell if you are a, a damned, non-saved sinner. That was rude. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Mason's you're rude offended. to God, so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then, at the end times there's a transition from hell to the lake of fire, treated as two different locations. And the lake of fire is an area where the soul cannot exist eternally. It will be extinguished eventually. Mm. Yeah. So, that's that versus ECT for you. That's the hot take. No pun intended. Gotcha. So, do we get straight into what the Word of God says about this? Because I think there's... there about some history behind some ECT? What do you think? So, let's, let's, let's throw out... Let's, let's me and Matthew throw out some verses uh, about... And let y'all uh, answer. I think one of the biggest ones, uh, uh, what about John 3.16? Uh, this is one that I think both of you guys would, I would say, that would have an argument or disargument about. So John 3.16, we've already made mention. This is like the, the cornerstone of our faith, basically. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So let's, let's start with Mason, since you already kind of gave your introductory to, to that. So with John 3.16 being involved with eternal conscious torment, or conditionalism, how does that factor into eternal conscious torment, John three sixteen, as being like a rudimentary, fundamental 
passage in our faith. I assume you're talking about like the life and perish. So, um, the big belief on eternal conscious torment is that like when one goes to perish in hell, it is an eternal perishing. And like some, you know, some I think, I think Tanner might have brought this up in a way earlier episode this season about how he thought or was taught that um, that was people like dying and then coming back and mm-hmm. then dying again. But really what it is, is like, it's the verse I think Matthew brought up earlier about like the worms in Ghana is what it is. It's like where it says the worm dieth not. It's like, it's like a reference to like, because I mean, we are reference as like our righteousness is as filthy rags so like some people will say like like we are as righteous as those worms that will not ever die it's also worth mentioning that the worm being a word that is used in place of the soul is a common occurrence especially in relation to sheol in the old testament so that that isn't an isolated incident like the worm is a frequently used term. yeah like it, like there's a lot of connections there so like and that's why it's a popular belief is because um when you go back and look, like you could see a lot of the references, and so when you see where it, the worm, or you can, like Matthew said, you can kind of substitute soul in there, uh, does not die. It's just it's that constant torment of like you would pretty much beg for death, but death doesn't come. Uh, it's pretty much the whole wraps around uh, eternal conscious torment. When I look at John three sixteen, because eternal life, well, eternal is pretty pretty clear on that part. You're, you're going to live forever. So if you just were to step back and look at things, like logically, okay, we have eternal life. Why don't we have eternal, quote unquote, death? Is is how I would propose that idea. So the soul well, let's, let's is. Let's get to that verse. Well, yeah, go um, ahead. Because I have uh, some thoughts, conditionalist wise, on how that verse is worded. I think that that's Matthew ten twenty eight. Is that correct? On which one, oh, the worm? Yeah, probably. So the with, yeah, with the the John three sixteen verses, what you're basically saying, boiling down, is that the soul is eternal, no matter what the decision that that individual makes on earth. Correct? Is that what is, is that basically what the eternal conscious torment that the soul is eternal, consciousness is eternal, no matter what the decision of faith, uh, profession of faith that you make. Yes. Okay. Um, like the conscious, because, and I I think we brought this. Uh, a friend of ours brought this up in a Wednesday, this Wednesday night class um, about how in heaven, because, I mean, if you talk about hell, you got to talk about heaven at least a little bit. Balance it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, in Scripture, and forgive me because I do not know where this is. I can go look it up, though. Um, it says where we will be known as we were known or are known uh, in heaven. Uh, so you have a conscience, right? Or at least to, 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 I would say to a degree. degree. Uh, of some sort, like you will be known as you are known. So uh, it's people, it's known that you will be recognized. Like, and it's like, hey, there's Matthew, because well, unless he starts believing in universalism, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then you might not make. <laughs> yeah, might not make. Um, but like, hey, there's Matthew, and we can tell by the way he's doing things that we can remember back from like an earthly life or whatever. And actually. Um, just because I did bring up, I, I was literally spent like three or four minutes going through this. I pulled up this website. Actually, I didn't even realize this till now. It's by like, it's on Preston uh, Sprinkle's website. Ooh. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Huge respect for Preston Sprinkle on this podcast. He's a, is he an annihilationist or a conditionalist? I can't remember. Uh, he's an annihilationist. Okay. But a he, full universalist. Oh, gross. But, so, disgusting. <laughs> uh, on <his> website, <laughs> the actual disgust that was on your face. Yes. I literally, like, almost belched a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm, I've, for those of you who were on the last episode, you would appreciate this. I've gone back to not looking at Matthew Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Shun. Um, so in this article, he has uh, like a hard uh, annihilationist and an eternal conscious torment, and they're like you know presenting their cases or whatever. And and this for the eternal conscious torment, we go to the apocryphal book, Apoc- of Judith. Yeah, whatever. The Judith, one of the books I got tossed out. Anyway, it didn't make the cut. In the 1770s. Exactly. So this is why I'm still using it. Because it's been there for 17 years. God does preserve his word, even through centuries. Hey, right. mind. All, right. All right, here we go. So, <laughs> so in Judith uh, 1617, uh, it uses imagery of the worm and the fire, too. I knew I had this pulled up for some reason. I wanted to look at it. And when I finally found it, I was like, I need to bring this up. And it, this is just quoted because I don't have it pulled up. But this is uh, who the author of the Eternal Conscious Torment um, took from Judith 16:17 it says uh, in quotes they shall weep in pain forever um, so there's a reference back to the book of Judith which I also did not know was even a book till the day so. for the record in case there's anyone at home fact checking me on the couple of times that I've mentioned when the apocryphal books were removed from the uh, biblical canon 1828 oh, not so the 1700s so it's been relevant for even longer so it's only a way, it's a barely coming up on 200 years coming out or being tossed out. Yeah, so. there you go. Um, kiss my butt, Mason. <laughs> okay, we need to structure this I a little bit more, to be honest. <laughs> back, How did that die? Sorry. If I could interject, back to your comment about... John 3.16, right? Yeah. Well, John 3.16, but more importantly, I, I think more importantly, because I'll start with John 3.16 and then I'll get there. So, Tanner, to answer your question. Yeah. John 3.16. Will not perish, comma, interjection, but have eternal life. Okay, so there's this idea of perishing, and then the sentence is paused. There's a 180-degree turn with the word but, all right? So it's implying that there are two things that are not the same, and if you wanted to take it as far as the word opposite, you could say that. I, I, I'm not going to try and make that point. I'm going to try and make that point more strongly with other verses. Um, when it comes to John 3.16, people who don't believe in Christ would perish, right? But those who do believe in Christ will have eternal life. So there are those two, I'm trying not to pause too long Mm -hmm. on those words, but every one of them are good and important. It did not say eternally perish, but have eternal life. It said perish. That's a finite term. We all understand that perishing is a momentary thing, but have eternal life. Now, Mason makes extremely strong points about the eternality of hell, but let's look at the verse that he references. Isaiah said, I mentioned it may have been in Matthew. Um, Jesus references this briefly, but the verse, the root verse, Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an importance to all flesh. Definitely sounds eternal and conscious and tormentous, but let's look more closely at the words. They shall go out and look on the what? Dead bodies. Dead bodies are not life-filled. They are not conscious. They do not move. They do not serve any purpose. They are done. Of the men, so the bodies belonged to the men who have rebelled against me. All right. 
So we're looking at rebels, we're looking at sinners, and it's implying that their bodies are dead. So sure, there's room there to think that the soul may be eternal, but that's not what the word is saying. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Let's take the first two-thirds of that verse. Their worms shall not die. So that punishment, that worm, weaving its way through that corpse is forever. So the decomposition of that corpse is forever, right? It doesn't say anything in there about there being a conscious torment from that worm forever. Mm -hmm. Your being is not being tortured by this worm forever. That worm is eternal. So that environment, that opportunity for judgment, you will not escape if you are if, if you're a part mm -hmm. of Christ. You will not escape it because it is eternal. At any part of any arc of human history that you die without saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, uh, there's some hot takes on what happens in the Old Testament to saints, but at our point, you will not escape an environment of hell because it is eternal. It's made for eternal beings. Yeah. We'll get there in a few minutes. The fire shall not be quenched. Again, it's talking about the environment. Their fire shall not be quenched. So the fire that is purposed for the consumption of their bodies will never die. The opportunity for final judgment will never stop. But there is a final judgment. It calls these bodies dead, and it says that they are an abhorrence to all flesh. Abhorrence is like something that is disgusting, that is reviling, that is repulsive. And in Judaic culture, dead bodies were particularly disgusting. I mean, they're, they're disease-ridden, first of all. It yeah. just makes good sense. And you had to be cleansed and had to make a sacrifice for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Also, culturally, they were told to cleanse themselves from even coming in contact or seeing a dead body. So all these things are implying what humans alive at that point knew about how to interact with a dead body and what the nature of being a dead body was. That is what's used to describe judgment in that passage. There are a lot more passages I'm sure we're going to get to. In the yeah, and it's, it's just interesting how, like, even with both both views, you're taking the same scripture, but yet both, uh, both views are taking a very grotesque imagery. Yeah. And there's a reason behind why it's so grotesque. And, I mean, what do, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, I mean, this is open to, to anyone, but, I mean, I think there's a reason why the imagery behind it, even within the Old and the New Testament, that the destructive destructive nature of sin, the worm never dies, the, 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 those that their, na their teeth will gnash and goes through the corpses and stuff like that. And it's just, it's very grotesque. So why is the imagery so disgusting that it's, it's just like, because it is disgusting, the way that it is worded and the verbs that are used, that you have two conflicting views of finality to infinality? Yeah. I think it is an example of God's footprint in Scripture. God hates sin. Sin keeps us from him. I think above all, God finds sin to be the most disgusting mm -hmm. entity to ever exist. And I would agree. And I think all of us would agree yeah. with that. And so and that's reflected within his word. Of, yeah, because of his purpose for us initially, right? His purpose for us initially was to dwell with him forever. That was the Garden of Eden. And the rest of the book after Genesis chapter 3 is about how to get us back to that moment. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to uh, when Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount about cutting your hand off because it's better to cut that off and make it to heaven without a hand than to burn uh, with your hand. And, and we we toil with that verse so much, be like, oh, does that mean we need to cut off the limbs that are causing us sin? Well, not necessarily, but it's a characterization of how Jesus feels about sin, how God feels about sin. It is the most vile, disgusting thing in existence because it keeps people from communing with God, which is all that he desires to do with us. So I think that that's very prevalent throughout Scripture, this disgusting nature of sin, this abhorrent nature of sin. God finds it disgusting. That's reflected in scripture. So John, I'm going to throw a wrench into your argument. 
yes. uh, just for you know argument's sake. I'm just sure. I, I, I was thinking about this as like how can I poke some holes? Yeah. So you're, you're basically taking this this scripture from Isaiah, correct? And you're taking it as it being a very even, even though it's very imagery. And that's why I asked that question. It's very uh, eye candy to to, to the tension uh, to the tension of the reader. I mean, is this, is this a Jonathan Edwards' hands yeah. of the sinners of angry sinners in the hands of yeah, angry God? Okay, yeah, very descriptive. So it's metaphorical in the way it's presented. But yet, what you're saying is that even though it's presented in a metaphorical way, the implications are are literal. Almost like the worm and the death and the dead. So it's like, well, it doesn't that kind of contradict itself if it's like a metaphor and a literal interpretation within the same thing? No, um, because I don't think that Scripture, um, especially Jesus in his, uh, in his teachings, which we'll get to here in a few minutes, I don't keep saying that, um, they use parables using real-life examples of things. That's how parables work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you would use a real-life example of something to allow your listener or your reader later, you know, centuries later, uh, like with us, to understand what it is that you're talking about. So you have to use literal examples of things. But there's a point where you stop trying to bend this around and make it a metaphor. There's a point where you just accept the logical train of thought where it stops. So if Scripture's calling these things within this metaphor, but dead bodies, then I have to assume that at some point uh, it's talking about a dead body. Present logic says that a dead body should not rise without the power of God. Right. Yeah. And this power of God, again, we're getting back to John 3.16, but have eternal life eternality, immortality, eternal being is granted only, as Scripture makes the case against, only to those who believe in Christ. So, that being said, a couple of other takes on this. And I'll just uh, headline these, I think, um, and then we can come back to them if you guys want to. You can uh, take me up on a verse and um, say, especially Mason, like why that's an ECT view, because I think it's really valuable to have that. Because, again, it's a valid view. Mm-hmm. So... Genesis chapter 3. Why did I get that treatment? 22. Are you kidding? Go back and listen to episode 1. I, I, I rake them pretty hot over the coals. I'm done with it. But See, it's, 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 it's funny because like the, the purgatory is so academic and so boring, and it's like, wow, this is so dumb. But then it's like, yours is so, you know... Uh, uh, so feely, feely, goody, goody. And then now we have get to the real nitty-gritty-gritty. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm that's, just, a I'm lot just, of, that's a lot of good words. I'm just sad that you weren't nice to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm so willing to be nice to you now. I'm going to make up for it so much. I'm going to learn to love you. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Genesis 3, you have the tree of life, right? That's the, so you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which uh, Adam and Eve both partook from. Um, again, uh, pedantism aside. Uh, but <laughs> you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve both partook from, which gave them the knowledge of good and evil, right? But that was the sin that God commanded against. When God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, he says, he makes a little comment about, hey, let's kick them out now so they don't eat of the the tree of life and then live forever. All right? When's the next time that we see the the tree of life? We see it in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. It's set in the scene of heaven. Of heaven. It says that there in the middle of the road lies the tree of life. And that it's it describes that it's blossoming, and so this tree is growing, and it's there. Again, that's that's we're talking about uh, things that are. I'm going to get to some more direct examples here quickly about, especially about perishing. But when we're talking about eternality and eternal life and it being given, that tells me that eternal life is not inherent within us. Eternality is not inherently a human trait. That's a 
hot take right there. Because we all think that we're created in God's image, and we are. But we think that that means that we're also created eternally like God is. No, we are, at best, uh, I'm not sure what the term is, but we start at a finite point and then exist eternally, right? We're not eternally past present. Because that would mean that we were God. That's a God-like, that's yeah. a God-exclusive quality. Okay, I'm with you now. All right. I had this. So, I had the look you were giving Matthew earlier, and I was just like, no, nah, I got to wait. Just, I gotta yeah, wait. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got to no, wait. I got you. I got I'm you. glad yeah. I waited now. Yeah, I'm pitching it, and then I'm backing it up a little bit. So um, the most popular view is that, yeah, sure, we start at a finite point of time. We are not eternally past the present. We start at a finite point of time, and then we eternally exist in one of two areas, right? That's the common passage. I think the conditionalism really makes a stronger point for, no, you don't, you're not even inherently eternal. You have a soul which can be inherently eternal if it's given the gift of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And when scripture's talking about eternal life, it's talking about believers. It's never talking about sinners. So that's where, for me, the I think the weight of evidence falls more heavily and more directly, at least, towards conditionalism with that train of thought, especially as it relates to the tree of life. We could talk about perishing here in a minute, too. Um, but when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about it being given. That happens through atonement. Mm-hmm. Really important for us to look at Hebrews 10.10, 10, and I'm going to read this one directly instead of paraphrasing it because I really appreciate the wording that's used there that's really uh, compelling. Hebrews 10.10. 10. It's talking about how Christ has atoned for our sins. It says, And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So, if Jesus' atonement for our sin, if Jesus satisfies sinner's punishment with death, with one finite death, how would sinners, therefore, have to satisfy their punishment with eternal life in hell? Alright? So, if our punishment, otherwise, would be eternal conscious torment in hell, then why was Jesus' satisfaction for that punishment a momentary, finite amount of death, a perishing? Okay? If that's the case, then we get back to purgatory where, you know, okay, mm-hmm. we haven't satisfied God's wrath. I, I'm not going to take it that far, okay? I'm just going to take it as far as to say that the example that we're given by Jesus of him substitutionarily taking on our sin and our, therefore, punishment, he's punished in a finite amount of time. He's punished with a perishing moment, with death. Now, I think that our punishment would be longer than three days in hell, okay? Let me go ahead and get that out of the <laughs> out of the air. I don't think that we go to hell and we're just punished and we die, all right? I think that there's a millennia involved, perhaps. I don't know. Um, scripture's not super clear on that. But if Jesus satisfies sinner's punishment with one finite moment of death, then it makes less sense that sinners would have to satisfy that same punishment, apart from Christ, right, with eternal existence in hell. I think that it would have to end at some point. Okay, but here's here's really where I want to ask the question to that though. It's like, yeah, okay, I get I get your point there, but there's a there's one big problem. What's that? Because I think I know where you're going, and it's 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 going to be a really good point. So. Yeah, we're not Christ. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we are. Uh, hot take. Hot yeah. take. <laughs> Wait <laughs> a minute. Yeah, hot take. Yeah, we're not Jesus. Um, yeah, like I can understand I can understand you all the way up to that point. Yeah. Um, and like I said, like I, here's my thing, and I think Tanner was the one that mentioned this last episode. Like, yes, I'm I'm gonna have some pretty strong opinions on hell, and like mm-hmm. I will try to educate people in the best way that I know, um, and from what I get from scripture. But at the end of the day, like when it comes to some of this stuff like this, and there's some people that don't like that I have said this, and 
here's my answer to both of those things. I just really don't care because I'm not going there. I know that. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and, that's, and it boils down because all the – and it boils down to this. is is like this is just a, a good uh, conversation with, oh, yeah. with these because these are valid mm-hmm. arguments for a, 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 a Christian to behold yeah. uh, because it does not uh, extinguish or limit God's ability uh, to do anything. Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, it, to, be, to be said, I mean, this is where we can shake hands. But the, the sad thing is is that a lot of Christians cut throats over this, oh, yeah. over semantics, yeah. over things that it doesn't really matter. Yes, it, do, it doesn't matter. But Jesus had to learn, right? Jesus was human. So. <laughs> you were so good for, for, for some reason. And now I'm not looking Throwback to season <laughs> one. This is the A to B conversation, man. Uh, All right, so, Tanner, I'm, here's the dunce cap that John handed yeah. me. Yeah, Matthew's back in. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw him back to season one, guys. Come on. Time. Uh, no, that so I'm happy no. to also say that, yeah, this is definitely not the end of the So let's. Uh, not at all. Let me ask this, though. So here, here's we, – we talked about this in the first episode, and I think this is one thing that really, as me growing up as the Eternal Conscious Torment uh, viewpoint uh, that I really gravitated towards uh, was – we talked about it earlier. What about Lazarus and the rich man? I mean, it's right there. I mean, we have – and this is, goes back to the understanding, and there's a spectrum on uh, – um, a lot of these views, like with conditionalism and annihilationism, there's a spectrum of like how how long is the torment? Is the torment uh, immediate? And there's one there's one viewpoint of like uh, if uh, of annihilationism that like when you die, you're done. Like that's the judgment right there. Right. So I mean, there's different spectrums of this. And, and John, you alluded to it. Like some some of the viewpoint would be that you know it could be a millennia of yeah. torment until yeah, the finality. Those, I'm open to those yeah, so it's possible. Annihilationism goes only as far as to say that. It is a finite. Yes. Finite. We all like to think that that's momentary. Yeah. What I mean by finite and momentary is that it is not eternal. It is implicitly not eternal. That's as far as I go as to say that I don't try and uh, guess on, you know, what people's sentences are going to be or if there's a gradient involved. I, I don't know. So... That's as far as I get. So with the conversation of Lazarus and the rich man, and we have all these cultural concepts of what hell is, you know, we think of torture and Satan's going to torture us and all that stuff. But where does that fall into play with uh, annihilation or uh, conditionalism and eternal conscious torment? Does that, is that kind of a bullet point for any of one of y'all? Or is that something that's just like, well, that's just a parable. It doesn't really matter. The rich man and Lazarus? Yeah. Uh, okay, now here's my thing on that. I, I always like to look at that a lot because I think that that parable is probably the most, and to a, to a point, and I'll kind of get to this in a minute, the least information that we can get. <laughs> the most yeah, and the yeah, least. Yeah, 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 I agree. Because like, it really depends That's on how you look at it. That. Yeah, but, um, and like I said, I'll get to that more um, in a second. When we get um, all of our ducks in the room. Yeah, I, I think that for me, um, that that does not. I, I talked about non mutual exclusivity in our last. That's a big $12 word. I talked about that in our last podcast, uh, a couple episodes that I was on here for, because um, I'm a big nerd and I do stuff like that. But um, so, again, that story does not mutually exclude the possibility of his torment in hell that he mm-hmm. was experiencing at that time also being finite. That's an open possibility. Yes. So for me, that's like. It's not contraindicating this. I don't think that's a good enough reason to believe this. But what I'm here thinking about and saying is the positive mm-hmm. affirmations, right? You have positive affirmations and you have negative affirmations. We're talking about debate or philosophy. So positive affirmation would be, it says this and therefore believe it. Negative affirmation would be like, 
hey, it doesn't say that this, well, that, that allows the possibility for this. So I think that with the rich man and Lazarus, again, just like you know, Mason just said, it was like, sure, it's, it's also the least amount of information we can get to, to an extent, right? It's a weak case for building on either ECT or, uh, or conditionalism. It's, it's just describing the environment. I don't think that it describes the nature of the environment when it comes to duration or purpose. Yeah. Right. And so, like, and I've just went through it now. And that's why I said, you know, give me enough time to go back because I needed to see exactly which verse it was in. Um, and so I'll bring this up to John and I'll let him be able to explain it more because uh, out of all of it, he's right. There is really nothing that supports one argument or the other. But there is one thing in 26 that I think could. It, it depends on how, like you said, you look at it. Um, but it, verse 26 reads, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor from those there pass to us. Mm-hmm. And so do you look at that and do you say, okay, so like it's pretty clear that well, you can't get across, so are you stuck over there forever? Or, and I'm sure what John is probably about to say is, um, yeah, he's stuck, but you know, for that finite period or whatever. Sure. Like he, like it's pretty obvious that he can't come across. Um, I think as what Matthew was presenting last fortnight ago um, in universalism, how like after a certain time that they can come back over. But we see here in this parable, um, you know, from you know, like I said, what we what we can take mm. from the parable and what what we from understand it. Yeah, they that, can't come across of their own power. But you see, the blood of Christ covers. Oh hush, all the- hush. Okay, oh, wow. No, no, I, universalism. no. I, 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 could totally see. I could totally see that as being a, a, a view of uh, ETC or ECT. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, because that's, that's a really good train of thought. Because it seems. Linear. I never thought, seems, thought about that. Yeah, it seems one to one, right? It seems linear. It seems like, oh well, we know that those people in heaven are, enjoy it forever, and so it's saying that they can't cross one way, and that people in hell can't cross the other. So like, it, it leaves that inference open that like. Therefore, the people in hell are also there eternally and can't cross over. But again, eternality is never described. Well, and, and that goes back to it, it, it's different than Isaiah because Isaiah is metaphorical in a literal context, but this one's literal. So it's like there's really no way that you can take a literal of, of a gulf that is fixed and basically yeah. saying that that separation will always exist. Like there's always going to be, because I can see where that view could be okay, this separation between. The wheat and the shaft, the goats and the sheep will always exist. Yeah. So if there's a separation, then there has to be a one-to-one. So I can I can see that for sure. Yeah, but again, and you made that point for me, it's that um, you know there is no duration or nature or purpose ascribed to that person's duration in hell. It's just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There is nothing there. But shouldn't this shut down all the Mormon talk about going back? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think for conditionalism, I was talking about eternal life and how it was granted in the tree of life, right? Um, when it comes to destruction, um, Jesus and Peter and uh, Paul and a few areas, um, these authors are all, uh, I'm being very reductive by saying all these authors, that's almost heretical. Um, it's the word of God. But um, You're on cross-training. We oh, welcome cross-training. heresy. Hey, we welcome <laughs> heresy. Yeah, hey, why not? We, we encourage it. Introduced. We are the holy heretics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never, I, I've deliberately never went, hmm, yeah, agree. No, I never affirmed that. So it's, it's fine. You guys can be holy heretics if you want. I'm going to be right. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm pulling a Matthew Thompson here and, and getting swaggy. No, but um, when it comes to the description of destruction in hell that we're given, that's what compelled me the most, I think, towards conditionalism, mm-hmm. is the description of destruction in hell. Um, those verses that I've talked about already, 
were good supporting verses, but they're not the strongest ones available. Uh, I'm just going to pick two. Um, there's about 70 in the New Testament, which I think is super, super cool that um, talk about, you know, uh, again, not using the word hell, but talking about judgment and the nature of judgment and God's wrath and the nature of God's wrath. There's about 70 verses in the New Testament that we can go through. I'm just picking two here to talk about for time's sake because I think that they have good implications. Well, I think also I want to bring up real quick before you bring up to those is that Matthew in the first episode, you said that how many times, like you said, that hell's not talked about much in the Bible, but God's judgment Absolutely. and God's wrath yes. is talked about a lot, yes, a lot. So there is a distinction, a difference between hell and judgment. And so yeah. I think that's where the distinction, where this whole conversation stems from, is like, okay, let's get off the conversation of hell mm-hmm. and get on the conversation of like his judgment and his wrath. Like, what yeah. is his? What does his wrath look yeah, exactly. like? What is the purpose? For, and that's that's the yeah. whole crux of conditionalism. That that's actually really reassuring. Is what is the purpose of God's wrath, or what is the purpose of God's judgment? And Mason, I want you to, to give your input on these verses because I think that there are strong ECT verses. Um, two. Um, and for the record, I don't think it's been expounded on. ECT is eternal conscious torment. Yeah, Just, I'm abbreviating. Yeah, yes, it, please. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so, Matthew verses 10, verse 10. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse Worst 10. <laughs> Verses 10. No, no, no. Matthew chapter 10, verse. 28. This is what I was thinking I was referencing earlier and I was incorrect. So let me just read it straight off the page. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. That sounds very final to me. That sounds very destructive to me. Right in my veins. Verse number two. Of the same chapter? No, no, no. No, sorry. Uh, this is my second verse that I'm referencing, uh, is what I mean to say by that. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, this is a really strong one for me. Um, this is what got me thinking quite a bit. Second um, Peter chapter two verse six. Let me find it real quick. All right. So Peter writes, "If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly." So we have this picture of like Peter is saying, "Listen, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah." He committed them to extinction, is the words that is used here in my ESV. Making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So if Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, right? Uh, that is a place on earth that does not exist anymore. You cannot go there. It is not a city. There are no walls. There's no architecture for Sodom and Gomorrah. They are gone, 100%. They were committed to extinction, is what the Word of God says here. And that is an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. That makes me think that 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 makes me think that there is mutual exclusivity there, when it comes to existing eternally in hell. So that that seems like a, a, a strong counterpoint to ECT, to me. Um, but also that that verse in Matthew talking about how fear God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Um, what makes that a strong point for me is we all understand what destroying the body in hell would be. Your body is here on earth, it's destroyed, the corpse is gone at some point, right? You were just dust at some point, you were destroyed, utterly. But it says, and soul. It's giving the soul the same fate as that body. And that's why like, I understood it as, like, you, who, I can't remember who made mention of it earlier, like, as a, as a younger child, I thought, you know, I had the imagery in my head uh, of, like, I died, you know, then I was brought back to life, then I died again. 
and I was brought back to life and tortured, 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 and tortured. But then it's like if that if that scripture is to the case of like body and soul, then so does our body exist in that eternal conscious torment as well, or is it just a consciousness that dwells for eternal? I, I think it's the same uh, the same method used in Second Peter that I just referenced, where it's giving an earthly example for an eternal thing. Please go ahead, if I may. Absolutely, <laughs> I can't wait. Right. So no, this is actually very simple. <clears throat> And, I mean, you could use it as a debate or not, because, like, I mean, there is no, like, scripture to break this up. This is just, you know, me thinking out loud. Yeah, sure. And I think it makes sense to me, so I'll, like I said, I'll go out loud with it. So, uh, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of wordplay, as what was done a little bit earlier, in the first uh, Matthew 10:28 or 10:26, where it says, can destroy. The big word is can. Mm. It's not will or does. It's... Of course, God can do these things. God can do anything. Mm. But is that is what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think you have to be re- real careful because it's just like the John 3.16. But, you know, those have eternal life. You know, that's a very good point. But same thing for me here. Now I'm going to use that. Yeah, God exactly. can do that. those things. But is that what's going to happen? Now let me go on to the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, before I go on this. Now this is slightly weaker. I want to say, um, but it's still a thought to think. Um, so, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire rained down, right? Or mm-hmm. am I just or am I remembering? No, yeah. Okay, yeah. You're, you're so right. fire. So like they were burnt in fire, like so they had to live through fire, mm-hmm. quote unquote, live through, through fire. So it's like that's what's going to happen to the unjust. Um, you know, you can say, like I said, I not that I'm aware of of any scriptural proof, but you can say. Um, that what happened, they were burnt in fire. Yes, they died because, well, they were on earth. They had a mortal, mortal life. They, you know, we're going to die eventually. But, you know, the ungodly will burn as Sodom and Gomorrah did. So, you, so in that scripture, your, 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 your stance is saying that that is a description of the event versus the time frame that is supposed to be occurring, correct? That the I think I, if, I'm, if I'm understanding what you're saying, yes. Okay, so it, it's like, it's a picture of what is to come. What type of, of punishment? Type, yeah. not yeah. Yeah, the type of punishment. It's like, hey, look at what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire. Okay, the unjust, the ungodly, same thing. Is, is what I'm saying? How it could be looked at? Okay. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice that you said that God can do anything. God cannot do wrong. I'm sorry. God cannot say that. Oh, is that all that He can't do? No. So can he also answer requests from people in hell to? Uh, take oh them my out? goodness! <laughs> no. So, oh, so so there's another thing that God can uh, do. Weasel his way back in. Get out of here, Satan! Get behind me, Satan! Sorry, man. I just thought for sure that like God can do anything. I, I I didn't realize that we were stacking up these different things that God's not capable of doing, Mason. I'm sorry. <laughs> So no, well, it's pretty no. Explicit that he won't. No, you, not no. that he can't. Are you, you, are you speaking on behalf of God, sir? His word done that. I showed it to you. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> On the second you said that, I was like, it is my moral obligation to cut in at some point with. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, as soon as you leaned into that pop filter, yeah. I knew it. I was patient. I was patient. I think those are good points. I think that's a good example of how. All of these verses could mean either thing, I guess. Um, for me, I come back to that phrase I like to use sometimes with things like this. There's a there's a weight of evidence towards conditionalism when I read these verses. Um, that doesn't mean this has to be the only way to interpret them. I think that's important to, to, to note again, right? So Mason brings up some really good points. Um, there's a couple of more verses here where I'm going to counterpoint myself, Mason, 
No. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh my goodness. What is he doing? Uh, but it's going to sound like that when I read the verses. Um, and I'm saying this because these are some troublesome verses for uh, people who are um, conditionalists, uh, who believe in a finite amount of judgment. But um, when you're reading these, you have to say what they're actually implying, which is where I'm going to take this. And again, there's some artistic liberty taken here. I'm not going to shy away from saying that. Um, Matthew 25, uh, verse 26. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 46. My goodness, can I even say it right? It says, uh, Jesus is saying uh, about those who are uh, apart from him. It says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That is a... Uh, a Mason verse right there. That is an ECT verse right there. It's well, it says eternity on both sides of the exactly. Mm -hmm. It says defense. It, it, it describes eternality to both sides. But what is it describing? What is it purposing eternality toward? These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I think there's still a case to be made there that you can say going to hell, dwelling there in judgment and in perishing and in uh, agony for a amount of time, whether that be a few minutes or a few thousand years or a few million, I don't know, whatever, right? God can do what God wants to do um, when it comes to that, obviously. Um, and then perishing, that is still an eternal punishment because you are punished by eternally not existing with God. Right, so I was right. going to cut in if you didn't say that. I was going to say, if you yeah. subscribe to the annihilation of right. Part of the conditionalist or whatever. Exactly. Then yeah. yes, that, that makes a lot a of sense because it's still a punishment, right? Now it seems a little, it seems a little fishy, and I get it. Mm -hmm. uh, these are again, these are verses that are most strongly against conditionalism, is what I would think, right? Um, but I'm giving these in, in in a way such to say that when you're looking at the rest of Scripture thematically, when it's talking about hell, I believe it points towards conditionalism, and even when you bring up these verses, it's not excluded. I wanted to point that out. The second verse I wanted to bring up real quick is second. Thessalonians 1.9, another kind of troublesome verse for conditionalism, uh, now that I finally found it. Um, it's a small book. Uh, let's see here. It says, uh, of those who are uh, you know, non-believing, that's the context of this uh, paragraph. Please go back and read it. Um, don't let me isolate one verse on you. Um, it says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So... Um, that's an interesting counterpoint because it's talking about it uses the phrase eternal destruction. All right, but what what do we picture destruction being? When other things are destroyed in Scripture, it is Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the shattering of clay pots. It is you know so on and so forth. So eternal applies to the fact that it will not be raised again in conditionalism. All right, in this conditional train of thought, it, it's talking about the fact that it was destroyed is eternally true. If that makes sense, it's irreversible. It's it's gone. It's it's finite. It's irreversible. So, um, these seem to imply eternal punishment in these verses, but the punishment of destruction is conclusive. It is irreversible. It's therefore necessarily eternal, right? If it's conclusive, if it's happened in one moment, and it's irreversible, then the fact that it happened is eternal. Okay, so that's a way to to look at this. That to me, I hate making arguments like that. Okay, because it seems so twisty. It seems like I'm twisting this around to fit conditionalism. And I. I I hate that. Uh, so that's why I'm so willing to give a lot of credit to eternal conscious torment because this is, again, if we had to beat this dead horse again, not an open and shut case. Okay? Mm -hmm. I just really feel like for the points that I've made, again, not to hash them back out, but that when Scripture's talking about the way that God judges sin, that he judges it in a moment, that he destroys something, that it is an event, 
and that it's not revisited. Okay, so um, I think that eternality, on the other hand, is also only ascribed to those who believe in God, to those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't know of any passage, and Mason may be willing to correct me on this, where eternality is explicitly ascribed to the being who then exists in hell. I'd be interested to see. Not, not in a challenging way, I'm, I'm just yeah. genuinely interested to see it. Because um, I, I think it could be there. But that's where I kind of rest my case. I'm interested right, right, to right. talk about and it. And I thought I saw one, so while I am looking for that, I do want to propose a question. Because sure. this actually got brought up last episode, and I had to wait till this one to make it like irrelevant or whatever. Because like you've all you've been making a lot of points of the uh, like how it's very definite. Like there's like defined moments. It's an event. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a new believer, like how does that how does that explain the fall of man? Like, how does that one sin separate all of humanity? How does that one... Because, th- like, that's still going on today. Right. And that, um, as far as we can tell, that's... Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as I think all of us actually believe, that's going to continue throughout the rest of humanity. So why... Like, why didn't we get a second chance? Why doesn't everybody start with Eden? Well, not even that, but, like, why does everybody not start with Adam? Not start till they do something right. wrong. Right, that's what I mean. But why does everybody, everybody not start yeah, in Eden? Yeah. You know, with that same clean slate. I think that's interesting. Um, I think that uh, from, I've never had to think about that before, actually. That's interesting. I would say that it has to do more with the fact that uh, Adam and Eve were created for the Garden of Eden. Okay? Therefore, all of us are, too, you know, just, by, uh, just by extension. Um, so I think that they were created for the Garden of Eden. But when this happened, when they sinned and God kicked them out, that had irreversible consequences. All right, God, God kicked them out, and then he sealed it, and then he put angels with flaming swords around it. Like, he was very serious about, you may not approach holiness with sin, period. If Adam and Eve were, had crossed that line and were only going to be sinful now, not totally depraved, but only, only ever having the opportunity to sin. If I have to choose my words super carefully here. Um, because, I mean, obviously they make good decisions too, right? Um, not just bad ones, but... Um, if they always had the sin nature attached to them now, uh, which was the judgment, um, then their children also would too, and then their children and then their children. There's never an opportunity to create a clean enough slate ever again where humanity can exist one-on-one with God without atonement for sin because there's always sin now. I think it has to do more with sin than it has to do with uh, God's judgment versus God's grace in giving us a clean slate. Sin is not restricted to our human body or to our soul. Sin has permeated the world itself. Exactly. It is there a corruption is that, yeah, yeah, that exactly. goes beyond just us. Right. So yep. that's what my argument would be. Even if you wanted to make the argument that you are born into the world without sin in you until you reach the age of accountability and consciously sin, you are still living in a corrupted, sinful world. Right. You are still corrupted environmentally by it. I believe that we're all born with original sin, um, that, you know, uh, to go a step further than that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you make a great point, even if you were to believe that, that you don't sin until you consciously do. Um, yeah, I think that you still can't make a great enough point to say that, you know, you're sinless. That's, that's just not true. God is gracious enough to overcome your sin until you're old enough to be accountable for it. Absolutely. Um, I think there is an age of accountability. But, yeah, I think that by extension we're all coming to the same consequence that Adam and Eve did. Absolutely. 
I think the majority of the House says it. Well said. This has been a much more level-headed conversation than last episode. Well, <laughs> heresy. How about that? Ooh. All right. I thought you said you were going to make me like you again. <laughs> I, 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 so I was looking at you. I also meant Tanner. Sorry. I'm not trying to be. Well, Tanner was apologetic for his entire thing. He's like, so this is really shaking. I'm like, no. Universe. Because <laughs> it's, it's so hard. Like, props to you, man. Because, I mean, it was so That's hard to fun look. with it. Yeah. It was so hard to, to read it and try to put, take a stance of, like, yeah, yeah I, I can't get on board with this. Like, I can't even just act it, just acting out. I can't do that because it was so trashy well that and before we while we were planning this episode weeks weeks back uh casually mentioned like i'm going to come into this conversation as though i am a straight-up universalist and mason told me told me that i couldn't do it so i took that you did a a good job oh yeah he really did i did challenge him to that and he stepped up and i will give uh props or props is due okay Um, parting thoughts mason yes just because um just because I can, really. Uh, so you said, this isn't somebody in hell everlasting, and I, I can see how this can be twisted very easily, or not twisted, but redirected to other to uh, other individuals, if you already know where I'm going with this. But in Proverbs, we see what the wisest man, Solomon, writing um, in this, and it's in one of the, it's 30 or 31 chapters. I forget, it's one of the last chapters. 30 and 16 and it says the grave which is translated to Sheol and Sheol is, I don't know if we've actually defined that bottomless pit or deep pit uh, it's much more than that though well yeah that's like uh, cliff yeah, definition. underworld grave hell pit um, the main thing is the underworld place of no return in a place uh, without praise of God and it says the grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire, which I did look, it is just fire. But the main focus is the grave because that is using Sheol. Mm-hmm. They never say enough. So you look at that and you could say, okay, so does it never end? And like I said, like this could pretty well be directed at other people because this is yeah. Old Testament uh, as far as looking at uh, the devil and his followers, yeah. uh, the fallen could, angels. I think there's two non-eternal conscious torment uh, interpretations of that. One would be uh, that, sure, the grave never says enough, right? The fire never says enough. It's never satisfied, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's still only talking about the environment. That's not talking about somebody that exists in that environment. So then that's an old point that I brought up. Something that we've not talked about is why does hell exist at all? It exists for Satan and his fallen angels, who are eternal. So, if we're going to talk about hell and its purpose, it's for that. We're also lumped in there because of our sin and our choice to follow him, whether we're implicit in it or not. So, our being there may be finite, according to conditionalism. It may be eternal according to eternal conscious torment. But, neither of those are as important as throwing Satan out of heaven forever in an environment of wrath and judgment and torture. And so when the grave is saying never enough, it's because Satan will never not exist. How does, is there a scripture backing that? The saying that angel, uh, the, the Satan and his demons and fallen angels or whatever, his group of sassafrasses boys, is it that they are eternal? Because, I mean, I know that is there a separation between hell and the lake of fire? 
uh, and yeah. the lake of fire yeah. is specifically yeah. eternal for the devil and his his minions. Right. So then, how is that? Are they exclusively eternal because of the environment, or are they eternal because there is some uh, reference behind that? Right. Well, there was a first cause, right? So uh, God existed alone. The Trinity existed alone, and then came all of creation. I think that that obviously talks about angels and then therefore fallen angels as well. They were created beings. They had a finite origin, right? But they exist infinitely. They exist eternally. From that point on, progressively eternal. If I needed to make up a term for it, I don't know. Because that's that's the implication we have from Scripture, right? I mean, we see the same angels appearing all over Scripture. I mean, these are beings that exist in God, or in heaven with God forever. So when I guess we don't have a conclusive, no. spelled out verse either way. But again, that goes back to the point of all of this is that we may not. Be an interesting thought process. I know this has nothing to do with uh, uh, humanity and the destruction and separation from God. But like, when did God start creating hell and the lake of fire? When was that created? And in, in the process of Him going and doing things. And so then it's like, if that was created in the same process of with angels and stuff. Because, uh, I mean, I'm sure people were being punished early on in humanity and <laughs> the death of, of humanity and the consciousness there. So if that's true, I would be kind of curious. It's like, okay, Satan and his demons and stuff like that before the fall. is like, so God, what's that over there? Oh, that's the lake of fire. What's that for? Don't Nothing. Worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just there. <laughs> Hope you never have to find out. <laughs> no, I, I super duper don't know. Yeah, that. that's just interpretation. I mean, just just imaginary uh, Im- imagination flowing. Yeah. Season three opened. When did hell exist? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I am mentally exhausted after this. Yeah, yeah. This has yeah. been this has been one heck heck of a uh, of a season finale. I'd, I'd say you know just just to give like all of us a little little pat on the back. I mean, look look at us. Look at us. Like, look at us. Look, look at us. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, where we've come here in, uh, in season two. Come from recording on two Yeti mics that were absolute garbage and going back to listen to those episodes is a oh my test in patience. We're here with slightly better microphones that only occasionally malfunction. And we got ourselves a Calvinist on a microphone. <laughs> it's predestined, I promise you. I wonder who it is. <laughs> What's the one person that changed this season? <laughs> no, but this has been cross-training. This has been season two. Uh, I'm not even going to give you an ETA on season three. It, we got a brainstorm. You'll find out when we let you. It'll know. be a minute. It'll be after the holidays. I can tell you that much. We're taking a break, but uh, as always, we're still going to be on social media. Well, we. I mean, cross training. Yeah, I'm not going to be on there. Too bad. So sad. No, you can email. That is a way you can get to me. Email. I will be alerted to that. And if you want to hate on me for being a filthy universalist for about 40 minutes, then <laughs> go for it. Actually. John, you're not allowed to email. Ma'am. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. But. Until sometime in the future. This is so sad. Tanner. Give us... You know what? Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. John. (laughs) Give me those magic words. 